Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Fab Four Free For All. William Shatner. William, welcome to a Fab Four Free For All. And welcome to another edition of the Fab Four Free For All. This is the weekly Beatle podcast, or radio as I show. like to say, Beatle radio talk show on the internet. And uh, I am today's moderator, Rob Leonard, and joining me, as always, is Tony Treguardo. Hi, folks. And Mitch Axelrod. How are you? And uh, today we're going to look at an album that came out in 1982. It was sort of a return for Paul McCartney. The album is Tug of War. And uh, this was an album where Paul decided to get back together with George Martin. And it's one of my favorite Paul McCartney albums. It has a, a great feel that you get from a George Martin production. And it came out, it was also the first record to come out after John Lennon was murdered. Uh, so it's, there's a lot of things on this record that represent that, and there's also some great music. But there's also, don't forget, this is the first LP after the official breakup of Wings. That's true. Because well, you have McCartney too, which was a solo album. You know. Yes, but I mean, don't forget, Wings gets together in October 1980 in their last incarnation right, with Juber and, and um, Steve Holly. Steve Holly. Yeah, this you. is the first album that happens after the knowledge that Wings is really not going to happen yes, again. It's, it's, right, it's gone. Right, but, but, but where they but had it, recorded some stuff for what was supposed to be cold cuts, which we're still waiting. By right, the way. and some of the takes of stuff for. Tug of War was right. done by them too. Ballroom dancing being one of the songs, right? But never released. Never released uh, officially. So they might have been. You know what? Had John Lennon not have been killed, Wings may have stayed together. Uh, I well, they they were working on Rain Clouds the day John was murdered, right? And that was with George Martin. So and Denny Lane and Denny Lane. So uh, I'm not really sure why you say that. Why you think that John's murder? I think was I think Wings because was over I, with. I think Wings was well, over with. Maybe, well, maybe you're probably. I think chronologically they were. Yeah. But I think if any thought of having a band again, I think John's death jolted Paul into. Some other place. I, I also think that uh, George Martin didn't want to work with Wings. I think he just wanted to work with Paul, and it's re- represented on this album. But Denny was working with Denny, Paul Denny, the Denny day Lane. John was right. killed. Right. So he was there for some of the songs. Right. Four of them. Yeah. And, and then Rain Clouds is a McCartney Lane song, which was a B-side we'll get to. Yeah. But, you know, Denny Lane's only on four songs, and he basically is playing guitar or bass, either one. Um, and he does some backing vocals. It's not a Wings no, presentation not at all, but the way you uh, might expect other things. Right. But that's the only reason I say it, Tony, because really Denny Lane, Paul McCartney, and Linda McCartney were Wings, too. Yeah, that's, to, me, to me, that's Wings. I mean, as much yes. as Lawrence Juber and Steve Holly were there for the Jimmy last Jimmy McCulloch and all that. Yeah. And the band no, I past, see what you mean. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I Wings as a, even a trio were no more right. after right. Denny left. Right. And, you know, John was killed, and that was the end of even Denny's involvement. Yeah, yeah, basically. I I agree with that. And, you know, one of the things we've always talked about, just as a little thing, you know, would Wings ever be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And all three of us agree, no, because Paul's already in there. And, you know, Wings was so many different people. 
it's it's tough to say you know which one would go in. I know there are people who disagree with us. Yeah, we we've we've met those people. Yeah. So anyway, this was Paul's. Uh, it was actually his last number one album. It was three weeks in number one. It was eighteen weeks on the chart according to the American Billboard magazine. We don't have the British stuff in front of us. Uh, this was a an extremely strong record from Paul. Uh, matter of fact, before the album was released, Ebony and Ivory. Uh, which would turn into one of Paul's biggest hits ever, uh, was released. It was about a month before the album came out. In March, yep. Uh, and uh, with uh, Stevie Wonder on the track, and it was a huge hit. It was a huge video on MTV at the time. Uh, it also went to um, to number one for seven weeks. Oh, absolutely. Wow. came out, I can't have seven, that was seven weeks. Yeah, it was. Wow. It was everywhere. I forgot, I forgot how, how much that song was all over the place. It was all. It was it, pervasive. Yeah, and, to the, and the thing I remember about Ebony and Ivory from Tug of War, when the first time I heard it, I, I said, Paul has written about a piano. Not knowing the. Because I only heard the middle of the song. Hmm? And I'm like, what's he. Is, is he ran out of things to write about? <laughs> <laughs> then I heard the whole and song, the and I'm was, like, okay, now I know what he's trying to to say with this song. But it was a huge hit for Paul and, and Stevie Wonder. To me, this is one of my favorite albums of his of all time, except for the song Ebony and Ivory. Well, which, funny enough, Ebony and Ivory is the last song on the album, and, and I'm sure you're going to get to every song. But, yeah. but speaking of coming out prior to the album, the video... You know, MTV had just started in August of 81, and now this is March of 82. Paul was April. It was really April. It was leaked in March, but it, was, it started again in April. All right, but not too far after the right, invent yes. of MTV. Yes, a year and, later. And guess what? You think about it. Paul was huge on MTV. He was. Yeah, he was. And he was all over the place with a ton of videos. And this video, whether you like the song or not, was a cool video. Yes. It happened to be a very clever, you know, with the black and white colors, the black and white keys of the, even the suits they were wearing. Right. Very funny that Stevie Wonder, I mean, Paul's looking over at Stevie Wonder right. to get his reaction. And, and he's blind. He's not going to see you. So it was it was a little dopey in that respect. And the sentiment of the song, which we'll get to later, may have been well-meaning, but dopey. But it was all over the place, and I think it set it up for tug of war to be accepted better yes right okay. away because of the success of i'm not going to say the song of the video yeah and also the video paul and stevie were in different parts of the world when they made it yeah, stevie they, was in la paul was in england but the thing is also that i think it also brought paul mccartney back, back. into the limelight you think about it, back Big to the time. didn't even though i like back to the line and i know tony you're a big fan of the album uh, that didn't do well chart-wise. McCartney 2... Coming looking, up. Coming up was a hit, but it was the live version. Yeah, but the video was everywhere. And you know, it was, but it was also, you know, McCartney 2, looking back, is, is a much more accepted album now than it was then. And this is, uh, you know, he goes back to George Martin. He calls up George Martin and says, let's get back together. Now, originally, it was to record some of the Rupert, the Bear stuff. Well, We All Stand Together We All Stand was, Together was, was the first, first song, thing they'd recorded. Which is kind of weird. Yeah. And then um, they started to work on Tug of War. And it's just, to me, it's an album where Paul knows he has to come up with the goods. And he came up with the goods. Well, I think, you know what? A lot of it was recorded June... 
and then October through December of 80, and then stopped when John right. was killed. And then February, March, they went to Montserrat, right. to George Martin's studio. And I think you know, it was a much more relaxed feel there. But he also had a lot of help from a lot of different people on this album. Well, this so, was the first time Paul used guests, well-known guests. And to play bass. Yeah. I mean, think about that. I mean, he, to he, play his instrument, so to speak. But he was playing so many other instruments that you can understand why he was saying, well, I'll let you play. You know, Stanley Clark being one of them. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. Which is, you know, he's a pretty good bass player. Uh, he's a really good bass player. <laughs> but the point is that I think you said, you know, he had, to, he had to do well. I think the death of John Lennon motivated him to do even better. Yes. Because now he had something to write about. I mean, obviously, with Here Today, and we'll get to that. But I think he was in a different frame of mind, a, a much more cynical frame of mind, too. If you think about the album, it's not a—I mean, some parts are happy, but it's not a very happy album. Well, it's, it's mixed. It's looking back. Ballroom Dancing eclectic. is looking back. Here Today is looking back. But, I mean, the pound is sinking. Pound is you know, sinking is— Wanderlust. No one's ever talked about the lyrics. If they're aimed at Linda, they are some mean things in there. Well, we don't know what it's well, aimed at. for Paul, let's say it's not about Linda. Let's say it's about someone else. Right. It's still a kind of a mean lyric for Paul. Yeah. You know, he, he doesn't normally go for the mean lyrics. Well, until you get to, you know, Vanity Fair, right? You're riding Vanity. Vanity Fair or angry or something, but yeah, well, for angry. the most part. So, I mean, the album, to me, is... I really enjoy this album. At some points, I will say it, it may be a little overproduced. Some points. Some You're points. just saying that to get me started. Well, I'm, I know they're. Well, you, well the funny thing is, a lot of the songs from Pipes of Peace were recorded during these same sessions. Same sessions. Mm -hmm. To me, Pipes of Peace sounds much more overproduced than this. Well, I think maybe at the end of the day, he took the songs that sounded the least overproduced and put them on this and then had nothing to put out later, and Columbia still wanted the album. Well, don't don't forget, it's also his first... Did you say it was first Columbia album? Third Columbia album. Uh, oh, right, third. Sorry. But this one, it, it's interesting because from what I'd read, Paul thought that it was going to be a two-record set, and Columbia said, no, 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 you've had two bad records sales-wise. Let's make this one. We don't one. want to charge Plus, people double for it. At the time, it. the record business was going through one of its slumps. And so they said, we'll take the, the one album. He had wanted McCartney, too, as a double album as well. Right. And that, that was, was turned down. And, and, and so. Back to the Egg had some extra, many extra songs recorded yeah. with yeah. that thought also. So he was willing to give Columbia and EMI, because he was signed to Wrestle World EMI, two record sets. But if they're not going to sell, they, they're a liability. Exactly. But, you know, I'll never forget the reaction to this album. And now I don't know if the reaction was because John had died and now the Beatles were back in the limelight and people wanted to mm. enjoy it, or right. they really, really enjoyed it. But to be honest, I'll never forget on the cover of Rolling Stone, and they gave it five stars, by the way, the yeah, cover like of Rolling Stone yeah. was Natasha Kinski, who was a very big actress in 82. She was like almost naked on the cover, which I enjoyed. With, with a snake, and she was married to Quincy Jones at the time, wasn't she? Natasha Kinski? I believe so, or at least had a kid with him. Maybe. One of those. But I'll never forget on the top of Rolling Stone, it said, Paul McCartney's masterpiece on the top. Wow. On the banner. Usually on the cover. Usually it's banned on the run, and then after that. No, but but this was Paul right. McCartney's masterpiece, and I went what? like you do, and I actually bought it and read the review, which was sterling. I'm not going right. to read you the review. It was just sterling. I mean, almost overly 
you know, jovial. Yeah, I think they may have been extending him a little too much courtesies. Correct. I mean, they, they the bring time. in people uh, like Fleetwood Mac and, and 10CC rollicking New Orleans style, and she loves you. I mean, and it's all about Stevie and Paul. You, and you could love this album no end. You could think that this is like the most brilliant album ever made. And it's still flawed. It's still not oh, going to yeah. be, no, ma- no matter how much you think the album is wonderfully brilliant, there are still, fl- I think there are very few albums that really are masterpieces. Well, and, Ebony and Ivory doesn't belong here. And and Ebony no, and Ivory, but also, too, just so much is. I, I, again, don't get me well, started. Well, in Rolling Stone... What's they, that you're doing is well, just, hang on, let's it's just get to impossible. It. But, it's but, just an impossible try. I mean, they, the, riff, the bass it. riff comes from For the Love of Money. You know what I, you know what I wanted? It? I wanted it as a uh, an experimental instrumental track on McCartney 2. When we do the tracking, can That's we do that, please? We certainly But can. the thing yeah. is, but I just, even in Rolling Stone, the one thing I'll say is that they say that the song Tug of War could easily be McCartney's Imagine, for it makes a similar Ooh. leap of hope. No, it does who, who not. Who wrote that? It's who uh, wrote? actually yeah, the, uh, Stephen Holden. Stephen Holden. May twenty seventh. Well, I, I have to wonder what Stephen was holding when he wrote that. <laughs> Stephen's a well known. So, come on, do it. Stephen, Stephen must have been. Thank really? you. I'm holding. Wow, it's the it's, first one of the new holding? year. You know, Yay! What are you all, all I know about Ebony and Ivory is when he did it live in '89 tour. At the garden, bathroom break. It literally stopped the show, like you were you was hitting your brakes. You were about to hit a deer, and you <laughs> and that was only seven years after release, right? And and he dropped and his it, first tour, and, and he dropped it after that '89 uh, tour when he came back in '90. He he changed it because I forgot what the song was for. It was either back in the USSR, or it was some rocker, and and then all of a sudden, da da da, and we're like ah. And he stopped playing it. So um, it was only cool when Stevie Wonder came out to do it with the, him in L.A. Yeah. Other than that, no. But like I like I said, seven weeks in number one no. out of all of Paul McCartney's songs. That's is that the biggest one? It's one of the biggest. It is. Well, hang on. It say is. say say, and the girl is mine. Say, I mean, say, come say. on. What's with this? Say 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 was number one for six weeks. I know. <laughs> Ebony and Ivory at seven weeks. Silly love songs at five weeks. Right. And my love at four weeks at number one. So, you know, it has its place. Listen, I think it went to number one simply because it was universal to everyone. I, I, but I also this think what you said people, about it was black and but, white. But I, I think it was what you said. MTV played the crap out of they it. They played it every two they, songs. Was they played it, and you know something, it, it just caught on there, and they just wrote it. And you know, it's one of the, I wouldn't say the first video of Paul McCartney's because it wasn't, but I think it was no. one of the first ones of that MTV jumped on. Yeah, but then they jumped on Take It Away. Well, yeah, that was... Oh, my Lord, did you know, I see that one way too much. Way too much. Way so, too much. It was. It, it, yeah. If there was something called overplaying on the radio, it was overplaying on TV. Yes, that, that, that's true. I mean, I didn't need to see that one again. So why don't that's we, true. Let's start cutting through the songs. Cutting through uh, the songs? Yeah, cutting through. It, it is interesting. It's produced by George Martin, not co-produced by Paul McCartney and George Martin. It's, it's just produced. Mm-hmm. Though the arrangements are McCartney... Martin. I just have to wonder who was overproducing it. Phil Spector. Uh, whether it was, on, whether it was yeah. Paul or, or George. Uh, we'll beat you up later. Wow. <laughs> we'll start off with uh, Side One, because that's was released on vinyl first, though at the bottom it says here, this album was mixed digitally, when uh, the term digitally was thought to be positive. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Before we start this, let's take a break. We're going to take a break, talk about Tug of War right after this. Hi, everyone. 
Just wanted to let you know that besides Fab Four Free For All, each of the three of us are involved in our own individual projects. Mitch Axelrod's two books, Beetle Tunes, the only book about the cartoon Beetle show, and Little Billy and Baseball Bob can be found through all of your good booksellers online, including Amazon.com, or if you'd like autographed copies, contact Mitch on Facebook. And my buddy Rob Leonard has a great Beatles show that he's been doing for 20 years called Beatles Songs, and it's on every Friday night from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can listen to it online. It's streaming at www.ncc.edu slash WHPC. And also look for it on TuneIn.com. And Tony Truquardo is the host of 4F, free format for free, on WCWP 88.1 on Long Island. He's on every Monday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and also at www.wcwp.org. Also available on TuneIn.com. And we're back. And And better than ever. And better than ever, of course. And we're going to talk about the songs on the album Tug of War, which was released in 1982 by Paul McCartney, produced by George Martin. The lead-off track, you know, again, one of the things I love about this album is the, the way it's sequenced. Paul has always done a good job sequencing, and Tug of War, to me, is, is a great lead-off track. Um, and one of the f- uh, several songs on this album, to me, and I don't know if Paul thinks of it, but to me is him talking about his relationship with John. Talking about just the whole friendship, are we friends, are we not friends, you know, the way they would create things, pushing, pulling. To me, this is one of the first songs. Can I just say one thing? Yes. And I know it's going to sound crude, but I have to say it. When this album first came on for me and started, and you heard... What seems to be a pushing and pulling in a tug of war? Yes. It sounds like he's taking a crap. <laughs> it's he's like, oh, I, I have to say, okay, out uh, a, you know, uh, sorry. Remind me never <laughs> to be near you when you take a crap. What? Well, maybe it was maybe, yet a hemorrhoid. Maybe you need some fiber. Well, no, no, it, but it does. If you listen to. I, I know to, he's pulling and push, you know, but. I have to say that that's the one thing that, upon going back to this album years later, I feel that uh, the opening puts me off right away. Is it because I, I of the sound to effects? Just, the sound effects put me off right away. I have a plan to just put together a CD called Tug of Peace that will just make me happy. That'll well, there just was be a song what on I the next to. album called Tug of Peace. Yeah, but, but I, I want to put a CD together called Tug of Peace. Oh, and, okay. and which have is the it best be, of both. Which is the best of both albums. And I will start the album with Tug of War without all the noise. Which was the single. Which is the single. Which is on Wingspan. And yes. So, you know, for those who yeah. don't know, Tug of War was the third single off this record. Did not chart as well. Right. And when they, they released it, they took off the, the actually, noises. A little bit too long open with the Tug of War. Yeah, and, and and the fade in, and it's just... Uh, and plus, it sounds better without the noises because it just starts in acoustically. Yeah, it just starts it acoustically. Single. It brings in the sentiment of the song right away. But I can understand why he did it as the first song. I understand, I but yeah. it's enough. I mean, it's I love too kitschy. It's yeah. like back in the USSR. If you put that as the third song, you probably wouldn't have the sound effects. Of course, effects, the sound effects. But it fits at the beginning of the song. When I first heard the album for the very first time, I thought it was, aside from the sound effects, I thought it was setting me up for an album whose production I actually was going to appreciate. Seriously, because because I really like the production of the song, Tug of War. I love the strings. Right. 
I think the strings are well, it's a great very pretty. build up song. You go very from much. acoustic to at by the end, you're actually with the whole orchestra and you're really saying you're almost like going, yay, you know, pipes up beat. And even the timpani, even the you know, the dancing Everything to the beat perfect. played on a different drum, even the timpani being brought right. in, you know, it's it, you could argue it's grandiose. big, it's grand Wow, yeah, it's exactly it's big, it's grandiose, it's, but it's a big song. Usually big songs either open or close the record. Yeah. Also though, yeah. played Overkill video on MTV. I didn't see this one as much as oh, I, I saw, saw Ebony it. and Take It Away. I Those don't remember two. this one as much yet. Oh, I do. Matter of fact, when I finally saw it, I, I mean, I did see it a few times, but not like Take It Away or or Ebony and Ivory. Those two were played like, you know, every third minute. Yeah, they were overplayed. I mean, Tug of War was released as a single and it obviously didn't get, but I didn't see this as oh, much. I did. Right. I kept seeing As I saw the other two. Because nice the other video, two, believe me. Oh, yeah, yeah. The song ends, and then the next song is Take It Away, but it overlaps a little bit with the previous song. So it's sort of um, like something Paul's done several times, and the Beatles did it too. Back in the USSR, going into Dear Prudence, or Sgt. Pepper going into... With One of them, Seagues. Seagues, yes, as we call it in radio. And I love the bass line on the song, ah, Take shit, It Away. Yeah. I love the way, even though it, it borrows a little bit, at least in the progression of uh, I want to tell you. The way it goes from the, the low note to the high note, and then it comes back down the way. I never thought of that. Oh, okay. Because it's an isolated bass line, so to speak. You hear it. Doo -doo -doo -doo. Yeah. yeah it's, it's almost it's, like a melody line. Yeah. But to me, I just love the bass line, the way it just comes in and just stays there. And, of course, it was the big video, maybe more than... Ebony and I. Top 10 hit went number 10. Yeah, and, and the video actually had the story with... Um, which I always John Hurt. John Hurt. That was the person. I couldn't remember his name. The video reminded me of a person like Brian Epstein. You know, finds this band and. But I mean, it doesn't work because Paul McCartney's Paul McCartney, and no matter what he tries to act like in the video, you're not. <laughs> yeah, right. You're not finding an, an unknown. If he wanted to, he should have had an unknown in that part. But think about it. Paul hadn't done many videos like that where there was a story and. I guess, but it was. Weird in the beginning because he's playing in the little attic and and his landlady comes and knocks out. Oh, you're being too loud. Are you kidding? He's Paul McCartney and he's in the video. You know, sorry, it doesn't work for me. But the the video is fine. Where the video really works for me is on stage with Ringo playing right, in the right, back. Right. That's actually cool because Ringo's actually bopping like yeah. old Ringo, even though he's got the uh, fro. And there's you know Paul playing and they right. sh they actually cut to a shot of just him and Paul. Right, and which it, is kind of cool. And it's interesting. The people on this record on uh, "Take It Away," you got Paul playing bass and piano and acoustic guitar and vocal. Steve Gadd playing with Paul. Steve Gadd is a great drummer, and the other drummer is Ringo. Well, which, I'm, I'm going to be very. Steve Gadd didn't play many. You know, he wasn't doing his typical Paul Simon fills. He was doing more straight-ahead film. No, he wasn't. But, but the song starts with that little complex yes, bit yes. of... And that's of, Steve Gadd. That's Steve right, Gadd. The 4-4 four yes. four is yes. Ringo. Sorry. Yes. All yeah. you Ringo fans, I, I hate to tell you, he didn't do all the complicated parts on that song. Not on that song. Well, he didn't do them on any. Well, on this album. Well, he's only on the one song. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, Steve Gadd did the heavy lifting. On that song, yeah. But Ringo was there. It was nice to see Ringo Absolutely. in a video with Paul and George Martin. George Martin plays uh, electric piano on it, uh, which normally... Member of the band. He was a, a full yeah. member of the band on this one. And uh, the backing vocals of Paul, Linda, and the beginning of Eric Stewart, who would... Uh, 10CC. 
in 10 TC and would work with Paul on press to play. This is where the production. This is where the, just the production just starts to just <laughs> fall apart for me. Why? I never appreciated it. I liked it. I liked it when it was out at the time as a single. I kind of oh, it's exciting. It's a new Paul McCartney single. I like the, the more I heard it, the more it just well, you, really well, bugged me as it went on. I don't like the horns. See, I do. I, I don't like the end horns. Those. Oh, I, I, I don't hate like that. that. It's the Price Is Right theme. You know, stop. I I, <laughs> it is. It's such game show horn crap. At the end of it, the arrangement is just sappy. I like when, and, the, and I like when the horns go. Yeah. I like that a lot, but I don't like the. I think they're too staccato, they're too mm. muted in the, in the mid sections, and then at the end when they open up, they're playing the Price Is Right. You know, I'm expecting somebody to come running down the aisle come on down. when they're you know. It's like it is interesting. That it's so Vegas. It's just wow. Take it away just, is, is considering it was a top ten single as a as a lost song now. It is, but you know, again, one thing that I find about this album when I go back to it, I just feel like it didn't hold up. I mean, and you will go through it, and there's certain things that I love. No, that I love, but as an album, I see. I I look at "Take It Away" as like you know one of those pure pop songs that Paul writes. It is, but it just. I don't know. Obviously, I, it worked with someone vocals. because it went to number ten. Of course, yeah. I mean, I, the, but you Whether know, the there's a lot of things that are. But even the, the backing vocals, I can't stand those. He he makes down down. I hate when he does that. Schmaltzy, schmaltzy, echoing the last word of the sentence. I hate that crap. He mm-hmm. overdoes that stuff so much. It didn't bother me at all. Anyway, uh, the next song on side one is a great ballad called "Somebody Who Cares." One of my favorites. Gorgeous. And uh, Paul plays, surprisingly, the Spanish guitar in it. Absolutely. Which is not gorgeous. something he would normally play. No, but he I did mean. it afterwards on Distraction. Right, on yeah. Distraction. Yeah. I mean, and Footprints. Yeah. Paul is a great musician. I think we all... He's an underrated guitarist, though. Way under, underrated. And this song really... And any time he gets the chance to do a solo with an acoustic... Right. I think he wor- it works so well. This song, his voice is perfect. Whether it's his it's rhythm not, playing or his lead playing. But it's not overproduced, this one. Not at all. No, this one is very, beautiful. they let it, it, he let it be, I don't yeah. mean that way. But yeah. George Martin actually let it be the way it should have been. Very understated, not a lot of instrumentation. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that you have Steve Gadd on drums and percussion on this and Stanley Clark, two jazz players. And I think also, because of that, you didn't get feel. maybe as produced as a song maybe that you would have gotten if they maybe weren't there. I agree Just with a you. different feel. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a different feel. Also, that. Harmony Den- vocals are yeah. beautiful on it. Denny Lane on this track yep. playing something called the guitar synthesizer. But it is interesting, Stanley Clark playing the bass, and Paul did not play bass on this. Yeah. And it took the pressure off. I think so, yeah. Whereas Stanley Clark, when we when we get to the next album in Paul's yeah. canon, Stanley Clark is completely freaking wasted. Yes. On, yes. Not wasted, meaning Stanley hey, Clark hey. was No, wasted, he's not but wasted, but he's, 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 he's wasted in the sense of he's not doing what he could be doing. Not doing what he could be doing. But and anyway. uh, the backing vocals are Linda Paul and Eric Stewart again. So Eric Stewart sort of... Very funny that now Eric Stewart took the place of Denny in backing vocals. Right, because right. Denny, Denny just plays right. instruments. He doesn't do any vocals on... Well, right. maybe does he do one, maybe he does one. We'll find out in a couple of minutes. But it is interesting, Eric Stewart coming in. You're right about that. Now, the next song I liked a lot, even though I found out later that the riff basically was from the For the Love of Money by the OJs. But What's That You're Doing, co-written by Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney. Yep. 
It's six, six minutes, minutes and twenty one seconds. Is it too long? Yes. About three minutes. Is it too By long? By like three minutes. Yes. Yeah. But I think if this was the lead single instead of Ebby and Ivory, I would have been very happy. Oh no no. Yes. See, can I just say one thing? Oof. This song. Other I mean, than, if you're gonna do a Stevie Wonder thing. Other than the length, this song in particular does not hold up. It is very dated. So dated. So dated dated. now. And when I hear it, it just sounds mechanical. It's dated and also, too, unfortunately, in a way, it's incongruous on this album. Like I said, had this instrumental track with no vocals except, you know what? Leave off all the vocal except for, girl, I like what you're doing. Baby, do it some more. That's it. And make that a track on McCartney 2. I'd have been like, wow, that's funky. That's cool. I, I think like just, it. I, I'm, I'm agreeing but with you guys that this one's too long. long. And, and the, the lyrics are just so banal. They're so stupid. But I like the way it comes in rhythmically. I love the way the chorus comes in rhythmically. The girl, I like what you did. I like the strength of that chorus. But oh man, it's just, girl, I like what you do to me. It's, it's that, it was almost kind of like he was. I don't know if he was there was an insecurity because now there's no more wings and maybe it's oh well I'll bring in Stevie Wonder and I'll bring in like but, uh, but you know part of the reason uh, they brought in all these people was that Paul hadn't played with anyone. You that's know, he, absolutely he, true. And, and I'll give and, you that. And, and, and that was a George Martin thing. He says why don't we bring in players that you would like to play with? But it's interesting that on this particular track he kind of like gave over to wanting to go into that person's milieu. And it doesn't necessarily work. Well, I, I can understand. It's, it's. I think the other side of the coin, you wish that maybe Stevie Wonder played piano instead of synthesizer. Yeah. Think, even well, though that's, that's what makes it dated. Yeah, that's yeah. That, That's where the datedness comes in, is the synthesizer, which sometimes happens. But it's 82. That's yeah. what was in. Yeah, yeah, which, again, at the Look time... At George you know, Harrison did Wake Up My Love in 83 I'd with be the lying. same synthesizer. Different album. I don't know. I'm just saying whatever it was. I'm just saying I'm bringing up the dating of it, the early yeah. 80s synthesizer. Yeah. And yet, Wake Up My Love, I, I still love. But it is dated. You know, it's Got definitely it. dated. But this, I... Okay. It was his attempt at Macafunk. Yeah, and look, at the time, I didn't hate it, and I still don't hate it. But I, I do hate when they have to always bring up the Beatle thing, like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought the only reason they, they did that was uh, they were thinking about all he needed is love. And it might have been Stevie just It probably was, because now he's playing with Paul. Yeah. And he's going to do that. That's fine. Uh, it's three minutes too long. If it right. was 321, awesome. Yeah. And, and, it should have been short. But 621, wow, they could have had another song. Right. That's true. I agree with that. And then ending side one is the touching song Paul still plays this live dedicates it to John uh, it's here today very understated yeah I love in this respect I love the answer vocals to himself very much almost as if John is singing to him yeah uh, uh, which agree. is great very very understated very poignant and I'm glad this wasn't a single because it would have been capitalizing on yeah, John's death. Yeah. I'm so happy completely. because during the recording of these sessions, they did all those years ago as well. Right. They went to visit George. Right. They went to visit George. So that's enough. Yeah. That was enough of the tribute. I, that was the I mean, statement. The statement, right. The right. statement song. and The public if it, statement. If anybody, yeah. Right. If anybody needed a statement to John publicly, it was George. Right. But I also, I think one of the things I, I think the song not being released as a single it becomes more of a private moment. Correct. Uh, Absolutely. Not just with Paul and John, but us as fans seeing what Paul wrote about John. And yeah. what I love about this song is that it's so understated, 
and said, obviously said, that when I first heard it, you couldn't help but cry. Right. Because it was so fresh. John's murder was still two years old. Right. And now this comes out, not even two years, a year and a half. And then what's beautiful is that he says, okay, I made you cry, and then you flip the album. And for me, it's interesting, too, because I remember that feeling when you first got the album and you were listening to the vinyl LP and you got to the end of side one and side one heavy. ended with this, like you, you finished the record side and you were kind of like, all right, it was an interesting thing because it pulled you into Paul too. It, it gave you like this. For the first real time. Yeah. You, and, I mean, and, as yeah. a solo and artist. Also it wasn't really, Paul rewriting yeah. their friendship, their history. Yeah. No, friendship. not at all. It was I mean, just, it was just a comment. You know, when he wrote, when he wrote, well, knowing you, you probably laugh and say that we were worlds apart. Right. Right. And, you know, you can see John's doing. But at the Absolutely. same time, what was the next line here? Uh, what about the time we met? Well, I suppose that you could say we were playing hard to get. Didn't understand a thing, but we could always sing. Right. So even if they didn't agree with principles, they could sing together. And it was back. And then he went back to that many years later with songs we were singing, too. Right. Very much. But the nice thing about it now and the change of medium is that, to me, now is when the disc, the work as a whole starts to pick up dramatically. The midsection of this album, to me, the middle chunk, is masterpiece worthy. The middle section, starting it here today and going through the next three. Well, it's also interesting masterpiece. this was set up as a CD now, instead of an LP, where you have to have a kickoff so- a song on each side, the end song should have a certain meaning. You know, would this be the last song? Would Here Today have been the last I song? I don't know. I think it would have been, honestly, it might have been paced exactly the same way. Because Here Today leading you into ballroom dancing. I love ballroom Because he brings you, he brings you way right. down with Here Today. And then you have to but physically then he comes flip in, the album, and then right. it gives you a chance to just catch your breath. But even on the Not C- knowing what to expect, no. and then all of a sudden, well, yeah. yeah but, but even on the but, CD, it works, though. But it goes though. quick. It goes quick, yeah. but, it's, but it still works, because you given you needed, that... But with the vinyl, you needed the time to recover from here today, well, especially when so you new, first heard right? it. Yes. Yeah. And then you're like, woof, and then you're, just, you're taking it in on the CD when you stop, even if you went, oh my God, it comes in quick with well, your... But at least you have a chance to take it in and go, all right, let's see what's on the other side. You flip it over, and it's happy again. Thank goodness. And also, one of the things when he started to play live, since it wasn't a hit... I was worried that the audience was going to hate it, or you know, make it a bathroom song, and no, they didn't. And well, they, because you're playing, yeah. and they don't even really show John. In no, the they don't. They when, yeah. not when, like George. When he, they play something, there's all those pictures. But for whatever reason, when here today is done live, there's no pictures of John, which is kind of interesting. Right. But it's it's nice that the audience accepted it because sometimes. Audience don't accept things unless it was a hit. Right. Uh, unfortunately, so. I mean, I'm probably in the minority here, but I. Don't love when he does here today live anymore because I don't think his voice can cut it. Well, that's mm. and the, and the part where they say, "Oh, he cracked because he was crying." No, right. he cracked because he can't hit the note. Yeah, Sorry, that's something right. else. Though in the regular record, he's singing it higher than maybe he should have. You know, there is emotion in his voice. Oh, definitely. Oh, you know, no, I mean, it, there's no doubt. But he's it not was... cracking his voice. No, I mean, no, no. Sometimes he does. Yeah, I know what you're talking but about. But there's no doubt. It's a, an incredibly em- emotive song for him. I mean, and for him to let us in, he could have kept this to himself. Right, yeah. You know, like my old friend. Right. He could have kept this to himself. Right. But he didn't, and I'm glad. He, I think he needed it as a cathartic way of getting it out. So, The next song, side two, uh, track one, is Ballroom Dancing. Now, to me, this is the third song 
on this album that has, whether Paul thought about it or not, I don't know, but to me has a Beatle thought process to it. You know, talking about being together when I used to smile when I was a pup, sailing down the Nile in a China cup with a recipe with a lovely day sticking out of my back pocket. To me, ballroom dancing is, at least for me, is the Beatles coming to America. Oh, I just think it's Liverpool. Interesting. Not that that's, that's yeah. what the song is exactly about, because there's other you know mentions and, and topics in there. But that's what I thought about when I first heard the song, and I still think about it. But that's then, very cool. Yeah. So I mean, there's other things. I always things thought too. it was just Liverpool. Liverpool in the fifties. Right. So, and like even the last line, well, when it went so fast and we all grew up, and now the days have passed in the China Cup. Are the memories of another day, and, and I wouldn't, wouldn't want to knock it. it. So wait, but it wasn't always such a pretty sight, because we used to fight, fight like cats and dogs till we made it in, up in the ballroom. Or studio. Yeah. When, well, no, or the or ballroom. The, ballroom. the they Locarno were Ballroom, right. uh, the Liverpool right. Litherland the Town played, Hall, yeah. the, right. you know. So that's where they were I, playing ballrooms. Yeah, they, when they, in 62 and 63 they were playing there. So the, to me, I always thought of that. But then, you know, when he did Give My Regards to Broad Street, he changed well, the whole verse yeah. at the end. So I'm like, damn you, Paul. He yeah. changed everything. But yeah. to me, ballroom dancing is... Should have been a single. Should have been the single. If they did fourth singles, it would have been released. It should have been the third single. It should have been and the it third single. And it would have given the album legs. It See, rocked. This, this, this I like the horns because they're punchy, they're... I don't think they're quite as hokey, and it's a song about where he's making reference to ballrooms. So You'd want to... You want a horn section. Yeah. You want a big up-tempo horn section. You want a bouncy C. Give me a bouncy C. <laughs> so, you know, you can't be offensive with horns in something called ballroom dancing. No, no. But also... I don't like, again, the overproduction idea. And I'm not well, trying to be persnickety. The, the narration in the middle. And what the hell is like big BD? Big like, ballroom it's, dancing? I know. It's unnecessary. Like that that actually, it's stupid. That, that didn't bother me at all. That bothers the bejesus out of me. The horns doing dun, dun, dun. Exactly. You know what and it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, you know Pennsylvania Six Five Thousand. You know when they scream it out of the big. Yeah. I guess, but you, you know, know again, it's big like he BD. he just Should sometimes. Why haven't we had any dinner? You know? Right. Well, th- that I like. That's fun. That's big Pennsylvania Six Five Thousand. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's something else. That here. was in the ballroom, baby. That was in the ballroom. Yeah, Maybe that's definitely. what it was. <laughs> Big VD. Maybe and, that's and Paul's what... all over this. He's on drums. He's on bass. He's on piano. Oh, electric guitar. That's not a hard drum song. Percussion and vocal. Denny Lane, electric guitar only. And Peter Marshall. And I don't think it was the guy from Hollywood Squares. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have it after the production. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's another guy named Peter Marshall. I know. So for those who said, hey, Peter Marshall, wow, he's on a Paul McCartney X gets record. the guitar solo. <laughs> yeah, really. I agree. Charlie Weaver. <laughs> I agree. So people in other countries are going, what the hell are these what idiots the talking about? <laughs> go there YouTube a, or There was a TV Hollywood show Square. called Hollywood Squares hosted by a man named Peter Marshall. He was great. Uh, he was great. Yeah. Keep going. Okay. Well, the next song is The Pound is Sinking. Love this. Which oh, is two brilliant. songs of Paul's where he he does it well, where he makes one nice, really Another nice song. Another sweet. Another Uncle Albert sweet. Pound is here. Sinking. And then the other part song was called uh, Hear Me Lover, mm. which he said, you know what? I'm going to merge these together. And this is a great song. To me, this is one of, uh, one of the strongest Solo tunes. Such, it's such just a social such social commentary, though. Yeah. Social commentary and smart and clever and just really what a great all of the great. Piece. I agree. X gets the square. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sorry. and it's interesting because you were talking about the beginning of tug of war. You didn't like that. 
but there's um, there's something in the beginning of it, this song. The that, rolling coin. Yeah. It's that's but that, but beautiful. That works differently than the beginning of Tug of War. Yeah, that's just that rolling coin at the beginning of Hound is Sinking I just love. It reminded me a little bit of the beginning of Money from Pink Floyd. It's also very much the beginning of Music Must Change by The Who on Who Are You. It's the same thing, the rolling coin. You would know that better than that. Cool. Uh, Also on that track, Stanley Clark plays bass again. Denny Lane on acoustic guitar. Again, one thing only. And the backing vocals again of Paul Linder and Eric Stewart again. So Eric is showing his head up a little more. Now the next track on this, I love the horns on this too, and I like the uh, the harmon. The answer called? vocal, the, the answer. echo vocal. Counter vocal. Counter vocal, that's it. Wanderlust. A little overproduced. A little bit. A little. But just, I'm not saying a lot. A little overproduced. But, but this is a song that's meant to be overproduced. It is meant to be overproduced. This is one yeah. the production. This is the one where I feel like the production is a little bit. To me, this is Broadway. It's a little Broadway, but I'm, I'm not saying it's bad. I love this song, especially mm, that 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 that. You know. I mean, yeah, to me. But it's also like tug of war with that in the beginning. Yeah, that that. Yeah. that song. I just. This oh, is again I, one of my yeah. favorite favorite McCartney songs. Just there's something about, and I like the regal. There's a regalness to the horns in this one. Sort of like Beautiful Night. Sort of like yes, very with similar the, to Beautiful counter, Night with the counter melody. Yeah. yeah, there's a regal feeling to the song. He's talking about wanderlust. You know that it's a it's a ship or it's a again with the Admiral Halsey. You know, nice. <laughs> no, we said up, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But, but also there's. If you look at Pound is Sinking and the Hear Me Lover part and then the counter melody part. The oh, where did I go wrong they're, my love? They're, they're both accusing the other lover of, of not being correct. Yeah. Oh, where that's did really I go true. wrong my love? What petty crime was I found guilty of? And then Pound is Sinking, a Hear Me Lover, I can't be held responsible now for something that didn't happen. I knew you for a minute. You know, it's interesting. Maybe yeah. knock sort of, someone up. I was with you for a minute, and don't accuse me. It's interesting they interesting. they go back to back on the album. You know? Yeah, that is intriguing. Um, yeah, who was he talking to? I don't yeah, know. I don't know. It's a question of who was he talking to. Is he feeling guilt about the whole Japan thing? Maybe. You know, maybe what, there's something else. What petty crime was I found guilty of? We this is no big deal. Yeah, this we've is our. We've been doing forever. this for years. Yeah. yeah, and he's been busted before, but they didn't. They didn't hold him in jail, jail for 10 days. Right, yeah. right. So on Wonderless, Denny Lane on bass, of all things. And Paul playing mostly everything, piano, bass also. Acoustic guitar. And again, Paul Linder and Eric Stewart on backing vocals. The next song, this is uh, one of Paul's heroes showing up for the album. And I think uh, a fun song with Carl Perkins, which Paul wrote for Carl to show up at Montserrat. And uh, the song is Get It. And very much like a, a Sun record. Very much so. You know, very, very cool. I can easily see this on like a lacquer disc, you know. Cute. They, they, they I, cut I, it at 78. I, I would have preferred it to have just been a Carl Perkins tune. Honestly. You can't do that. You, know, you, you can't, can't put it on Paul McCartney's album. No, of course you can't. But I would have just had more fun with it if Paul had written a song for Carl Perkins and that's what we ended up hearing. It's okay. I, it's another one where at this point I find it... I actually think this song has grown on me tremendously. This was one of my least favorite songs when the album first came out. To me, when I first heard it, I, I wasn't too thrilled with the song, but it's grown into one of my favorites on the album because of Carl Perkins. You know, he, it's, It was nice to see Carl get something, especially in 1981, where you know, yeah. he was in the middle of nowhere still. 
and it was nice to, you know, they recorded a whole bunch of stuff. It's not just the song. They, they did a lot of Carl Perkins stuff. And, of course, the song that Carl wrote for Paul as a thank you, which was my old friend, which ended up on the Go Cat Go record, that was the song that made Paul cry. Yeah, there were lines, lines in that song that, according to Linda, when she told the story to Carl, were lines that John had said to Paul on their last meeting. Interesting. So. Okay. And that song didn't get released until 1996, and Paul did a lot of that on that song, too. It's a great song. It's, it's one of my favorite songs of Paul's, of, uh, of my old friend. I would have rather had my old friend on this album. That, I agree. I agree. Me, too. I agree. And actually, it wasn't finished for a while. I guess because of the lyrics meaning so much. Too heavy, yeah. Yeah, I think. I think. Uh, then there's a little. What do you call it? Hey, can you take Link. me back Link. where I came from? Link. Yeah, but it works fine because the next song is kind of. Um, can we just talk about the link? Yeah, the link is called link, "Be What You See." Yeah, but here's the thing on that. I think this is a statement to the public about John Lennon being dead. Hear me out on this. I always thought this. The one you wanted to be is now the one you see. All right? That's the line. Right. But what I'm saying is that it's almost like Paul saying, hey, you wanted to be John. He's now gone. I am all you got left. I never thought that at all. I thought it from the minute I heard it. I never thought From the minute I heard that. that. I mean, that's all I ever thought about. I'm like, what, is he kidding me? I got to be honest. This to me was the... <laughs> moment on the album. No, I always no, thought no. it was just like I always uh, thought it was a, just a setup. This was this was glasses. This was you know. No, t- this is less of. This, this is can this you was take to me, me back. Can you take me back yeah. where I came from? And I just think it it was his little. I don't know whether he's right or wrong to say it, and maybe I'm misinterpreting it. But I always thought the the, the one you wanted to be is now the one you see. I mean, think about it. John just died. All right. Mm, Everybody wanted to be John, and now I'm all you got left. So, I when you see, that, but uh, interesting. Just my interpretation. Interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying I'm right. No, it's, it's, it's Paul Open. put in parentheses link. To me, you know what this is? He gets another songwriting credit. <laughs> well, maybe. Yeah, right. uh, unless it would start out at some, as something else that was much longer. That well, Can You too. Take Me Back was not listed anywhere. Right, that's true also. The next song on the record is Dress Me Up as a Robber, which this was the second song on the record. I was like, what the hell is this? I didn't like the guitar solo. The, the high singing voice reminded me of the Bee Gees a little bit, especially uh, during the Disco Still Sucked era. Um, I love the drumming by Dave Maddox. But it, it's turned up. Playing-wise, now if you listen to it from a different angle and you realize how good they're playing. Well, the musicianship the is, is The musicianship's phenomenal, but yeah. it, the, again, the song is completely incongruous. It could have been or should have been something that would have been on a, another McCartney 2 effort. Right, sort of like bogey music. Yeah. You can dress me up. I don't need that voice. No, not it's on like, this album. Let me come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, not on no. this Secret album. Friend. Yeah, right, exactly. I but don't need that. This is an album. Um, George Martin plays electric piano on this. This is the only record, a song on the album that Denny Lane plays two instruments, synthesizer, electric guitar. And yeah, as you said, Dave Maddox plays drums. I love the drumming on and it. And percussion. And, and, yeah. and it's, to me, it's grown. One of the songs which has grown over the years as Paul McCartney. Yeah. Musically, mm-hmm. I forget about the vocals. Musically, I compare it to Paul's version of Woman, Don't You Cry For Me. Musically. 
very different from the Beatles. Just like George did, he got away from the Beatles' music right. as much as he could until Cloud Nine. Right. But musically, different drumming, just totally different. So that's just my comparison. Mm-hmm. Just okay. something off the walls, no pun intended, to what he usually did. And the last song doesn't belong on this record. Sorry, it's a great pop song. You wish that Paul had told Columbia... I'm not putting this on the record the way he sold Columbia. He would not put it on Goodnight Tonight on Back to right. the Egg. And right. just I had totally the agree with you. And they wouldn't the let him get away with that a second time, though, Rob, no, because you're right, the, you're right. He, the albums didn't sell. They weren't selling, and they, right. they gave him a nice contract. I mean, Ebony and Ivory is seven weeks of number one. Huge hit. It captured, it's almost a song for the summer. It, it came out slightly early to be the song of the summer. But it doesn't belong on this but record. But telling the truth, it's schmaltz. It's, it's re- total schmaltz. It's one of it's those songs that, like, I'm I'm so the wrong person to ask. I don't do well a lot with, like, anthem, hold hands, songs like United We Stand by Brotherhood and stuff like that. Oh, I, I love mean. that, actually. I know. I mean, it was a great pop song, but, you know, I mean, Ebony it doesn't and hold I, up It now. doesn't hold up You know what, Ebony and I would have been nice to, like, give to whoever the pop star at the time was. And or do as a charity single. Maybe it's yeah, charity Truthfully, single. I like the solo version. And that, I, don't, well, that I don't was loved thing. it, but I I, well, I like the solo version. But I, I just for those who don't know, there was a 12-inch single released of Ebony and Ivory that just has Paul's vocal. And now available as an iTunes bonus track. It is iTunes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Well, I don't count iTunes, but I know other people do. We so, just lost our audience. Again. Anyway. <laughs> I'm from getting music, not forgetting, oh, right. I'm not forgetting talk shows. We oh, love okay. when people get Go our Go there and get the free stuff. Don't buy anything. Oh, sorry. Did I say that in my out loud voice? Okay. Well, you know, you can get the John Lennon Rolling Stone interview. Yes, you can. For free. So And free uh, for all. And free for all. So it is interesting, though, that Stevie Wonder's listed playing electric piano, synthesizer, drums, percussion, but Paul did a solo vocal version of it. He could have just laid down the guide vocal and then... Stevie come in afterwards. But he played, I assume they played together on the track. Who knows? I don't know. No, Mitch is probably right. What probably happened was Paul did his solo version. That's what I always thought. And then they were trying to figure out which lines Stevie was going to sing. So rather than have Paul do a bunch of lines, and I, guess, I guess Paul Stevie did a full version. Take them all and then take it out. I guess he yeah. overdubbed his instruments afterwards. Okay, I'd go with that. And Stevie probably did a whole vocal. There's probably somewhere an entire Stevie vocal version, and all it was was somebody sitting behind the board going like Punching, this. Yeah. Okay, I can, I can see that. And um, that is the album known as Tug of War. Now, there was some other Besides. stuff released during this time. One of them was Rain Clouds, like which we like a lot. I love the 12-string guitar strumming at the beginning. Uh, Rain Clouds also was worked on the day after John Lennon was murdered. Apropos to a degree, definitely. Uh, that, or, but also they just, you know. Rain Paul, Clouds hide the sun. You know, Paul was yeah. in shock, too. Absolutely. Then the other one, which should have been the end song, I'll Give You a Ring. Totally. Uh, which has a, a real bouncy with a C type but of song. But that was recorded in 74. Right, I mean, right, right. That's the, It wasn't recorded during this recording session. Which we but, see during the... Uh, but that, Paul's done that before and since, so... Well, during the sessions that's on the DVD. On one hand, mm-hmm. clapping. You right. see him doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, that was a much better song than Ebony and Ivory. So that was, you know, the B-sides of, of some of the stuff that was released. And I like the B-side stuff. As we've recorded the show in 2013, still not available anywhere on CD. Hopefully when Paul gets to putting this out. In 2032, yeah. 
we'll have rain clouds and I'll give you now, a Now, it rain. is interesting. When Paul Reed did his music in 93 and he added bonus tracks, he did not add any bonus tracks nope. to this record. Talk about, he must have so thought he, it's his he, own masterpiece. Right. Um, Don't touch it. Yeah, so... He will touch it when it comes out on Deluxe, though. Yeah, I know there, it. There will be... Has to. Yeah, there'll be a DVD. There'll be these songs. There'll be maybe My Old Friend, which would be a very appropriate... We'll see. So, and then that was it, really. So... To me, this is one of my favorites. I know I, I'm disappointed to hear. Well, shush, because we have to rate it. I'm You're disappointed. No, I'm not asking you guys to rate. You guys hate it. I, I don't hate <laughs> it at all. Are you kidding me? I don't hate it. I never this said is I one hated it. My favorite Paul McCartney song. I just, I, I just think it's it. very overrated. Let well, then you go first. <laughs> we'll, we'll ask Anthony first. <laughs> I, where, where, where do you give a, a, a number rating? I'd say I give it a seven. Okay. You know, I'd give it a solid well, that's, seven. That's, that's pretty good. That's yeah, bad uh, no, it's 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 an enjoyable. It, at the time, if you had asked me in 1982, I might have given it an eight and a half or a nine. But part of, unfortunately, it's not really revisionist history because I didn't have a show to rate records on in 1982. Right. Thank you, Dick Clark. You know, yeah, no, but I mean, as of now, in terms of how I can appreciate this record at this point in time, it's definitely not above a seven, but. Again, I love Tug of War. I think it's brilliant. I love Somebody Who Cares. And I then when you song. take the one, two, three, four punch of Here Today, Ballroom Dancing, Pound of Sinking, and Wanderlust, you you've got some magnificent... Right. So when you take the fact that half of the album, time-wise, is a masterpiece, yeah. you know, and that the rest of it is not hideous in no, any way, no. so I, I got to go with a seven. You know, I give it a eight and a half. I like this album a lot, and... Except for Ebony and Ivory. I, I just like so to, that's worth a point and a half? No, it's probably, I should give it an eight, really, if I'm going to hate Ebony and Ivory as much. But that's Two points for Ebony and Ivory? I wow. Know. I just, for you know, one song? That's, that'll do it. Okay. It's, it's, do it. To me, it's like, it's not because it was so popular. It's just... It's schmaltz. It's just something that if you didn't know much about Paul and you went to buy it because of that song, or if you said, oh, look, Paul's back with a chart hit, you know, you might say... Oh, it's, everything sounds like this, and it doesn't. The rest of the album sounds really good, except for Ebony and Ivory. Wow. So I, I will uh, eight, eight and a half, depending on my mood. I'll go with eight and a half right now. I'm going to give this one an eight and a half, because I enjoy it. I don't mind dressing me up as a robber because of the music of it. So if I have right. to deal with right. the high vocal, you know, I don't mind that. I really love the musicianship on that. Yeah. I happen to love a lot of this because... I don't think it's all overproduced. I think there's a lot of great production on it. I'm sorry. I mean, to interrupt, but again, okay. though, you, like we, you can say, all right, I don't mind. But one of the reasons why I have to buck it down a little bit number-wise is because I don't mind Dress Me Up as a Robber either. I like it, but I don't like it on this album. Okay. So you know what I mean? Fair like enough. It, it's a, you know, to me, sometimes you can... So, sometimes the song's on the wrong album. That's a good, yeah. point. That's yeah. a good point. I would just say that this is one of my go-to McCartney albums, solo. I, I do go to this one when I... I've played this one so much. When, it, when I first got it, I was playing it all the time. To me, the top three on here, Tug of War, Take It Away, and Somebody Who Cares, to me, there's no better. To me. Right. I mean, yes, right. the overproduction, I understand that. And, and the taking a dump in the beginning, that's fine. <laughs> but really, as song structures and as uh, lyrically beautiful, I mean, I yeah. know Take It Away is kind of, you know, poppy, but... yeah. But somebody who cares lyrically mm. is great. Tug of War lyrically is, if you really, that's a song we could do as a, as a, a poem, really. Probably. Uh, it, yeah. It's a very good song. He's very mature on this. He didn't, on this album, he hardly does the one, two, three, four, five, you know, let's go for 
It's not his thing here. This is, yeah, that's a good line. It's a very mature album. It really is. And I think the death of John Lennon took him to that maturity overnight. Because yeah. look what he was doing. Yeah. He was just experimenting with, you know, let me take you to my dark room. Yeah, but also, too, sudden, though, now we're going to get to the album after this, which was I, around the I, same I, time. You're right, but... And, but, you know, but he had the chance to choose the songs for this one and that one. Okay. And maybe he made the conscious effort to say, you know what? Make this one more mature. Make, yeah. And the next one, let's make it more fun because it should be more mature because John just died. People aren't going to want to be hearing, you know, there's a man. You know, you know what I mean? So maybe, no one wants to be hearing that. Well, no one does right. But, <laughs> Ever. But, <laughs> Ever. But maybe the, his mindset Never. was, I need to be a little more serious here because I have to get back to being now... The one you see is now the you know the one you, you know what right. I mean. I right. have to be that guy who's going to be serious, for right. at least for here. Right. So I'm giving it an eight and a half. Okay, we should say chart wise. Um, let's see, Ebony and Ivory number one for seven weeks, 19 weeks total on the chart in the Billboard charts. Take it away, peaked at number ten with 16 weeks on the chart. I thought Tug of War was like 39. And Tug of War was at 53. Oh, I thought we actually went Billboard down chart. At number eight, but guess what? You know what prevented ballroom dancing from coming out? Really, if you think about it, even though they really did do fourth singles right. back then, the next month, The Girl Is Mine was released. Oh, right. First lead-off uh, single from Thriller. So that sort of cut into Tug of War. So Now, the album went to number one. Uh, yes, it went to number one. It was three weeks to number one, 18 weeks total. Uh, released in May of uh, 82. You know, think about it. The Girl Is Mine... And Columbia and Epic are on the same people, so if if they maybe waited a month or two, maybe they could have put out Ballroom Dancing, or maybe Tug of War would have done better on the charts. You can't compete against yourself. And The Girl Is Mine went to number one, or number two, actually, I think. Uh, The Girl Is Mine went to number two. Yeah, and it was Schmaltz, too. Oh, God. But, but, wow. You want want to talk about... uh, Ebony and Ivory backed with The Girl Is Mine, and you you just want to slit your wrist. That is... The suicide thing. Saccharine. That is uh, what really hurt Paul's image for, like, two or three years. He couldn't get out of that. Yeah, Say, Say, Say didn't say, help say, either. And then Say, Say, but say, 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 say went to number one for seven freaking yeah. weeks. Six uh, weeks. So whatever. But yeah, but, the, but, think, but in this within this period, this year and a half, two years, he's doing these bad songs that are going to the top of the charts. <laughs> so it's, and then he did The Man, which almost was a single, which, thank oh, God, God help wasn't. us. <laughs> At least he, he wasn't even recording it with a man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> on that note. On that note, and thankfully we will not get sued on that. <laughs> sued? Well, he's dead. I know. You can't sue if you're dead. He could certainly sue me. <laughs> anyway, that just about does it uh, for our look today at the album Tug of War and some of the singles that were, were released around it. If you'd like to comment on this show or any show we do on the Fab Four Free For All, you know the regular places, our Facebook page, our comments page at... Rob's phone number, which is... Uh, <laughs> 555. 1212. Exactly. And anyway, so um, for the Fab Four Free For All, my name is Rob Leonard, today's moderator, and joining me as always was... Mitch Leonard. And... Tony Axelrod. Hey, I should <laughs> and, be Mitch Guardo. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Fab Four Free For All was edited and produced by Tony Chiguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album Digital Retro and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free For All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free For All. 
In the morning, yeah. rain in the day, rain everywhere. I love the 12 string on that. I just love Me too, it. but oh. it's not a great song. Oh, I like that song a lot. It's all right. I look forward to the. The, the, the re re. When it, what? Him approaching John's death. What was that? My glasses were against burped. the microphone. I thought you burped. I'm like, what? I thought it came out of your stomach with your mouth closed. Ew, I burped. But your nose... My, my glasses rubbing against the mesh of the I thought it came out of your nose. Asleep. No, I went to go look at the thing. I thought you were falling asleep. Sorry. Okay. Go ahead. Um, here today is, is a, a very good song. Ode to a koala bear. Ode to bear. a koala bear. Ode to Still. Like to eat <laughs> but that was the B-side to Say, Say, Say. Though. Oh, yeah, you're right. I Wait, know. we should leave that out. Hold yeah, on. okay. Go ahead. Um, do I mention Ode to a koala bear? No. Oh, okay. Well, now you do. Okay. <laughs> okay. 